Mr. Weston has focused the Living Youth Program on, quote, as Mr. Ames mentioned in the co-worker letter, recapturing true values and developing a godly culture of life. And this is really what God wants from our children. Uh, we'll turn to Malachi 2. Malachi 2 and verse 15. Malachi 2 and verse 15. Thinking about marriage and the purpose, or at least one of the purposes of marriage, is to raise children that know God's way of life. That's what God wants from marriage and family. Verse 14, the end of verse 14. Yet she is your companion and your wife by covenant. But did he not make them one, having the, a remnant of the Spirit? And why one? Here's the reason, or at least the reason he gives here. He seeks godly offspring. He wants parents and grandparents, as we'll see, to teach their children God's way of life. Let's turn to Deuteronomy 6. Deuteronomy 6, and we'll start in verse uh, 5. Deuteronomy 6 and verse 5. I am giving a clue of what we'll be talking about today. <laughs> Deuteronomy 6, starting in verse 5. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And these words which I have commanded you today shall be in your heart. And that was a part of the problem with Israel, was not in their heart. They were very carnal. God wanted it in their heart, and he can do that with us, of course, through his Holy Spirit. Verse 7, you shall teach them diligently to your children. The ways that I've taught you, you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise up. So we're to teach them God's ways diligently at every opportunity. Let's now turn over a couple pages to chapter 4 and verse 9. Chapter 4 and verse 9. And I mentioned grandparents because it is specifically mentioned. In addition to parents, grandparents. Deuteronomy 4 and verse 9. Only take heed to yourself and keep and diligently keep yourself, lest you forget the things your eyes have seen, and lest you depart from your unless they depart from your heart all the days of your life, and teach them to your children and your grandchildren. So that is a responsibility, a kind of a dual responsibility there. As we're parents, we teach our children. As we become grandparents, we teach our grandchildren. And God willing, that can be passed down. God's ways can be preserved and passed down. Once God opens the mind of, of uh, a family, they can be passed down from generation to generation. We, we know that here. I think there's one family here that maybe on the uh, fifth, I think, fifth generation in the church. Last night, our, our family counted the young people, and I say young people in this particular case. I'm speaking of those under 13. I'm sure we got it wrong, and I'll ask for you to please not try to figure it out until after the sermon, or at least uh, the next one as well. 
after services. So we counted 58 children in this congregation that were under the age of 13. And that does not count uh, the several who uh, will hopefully have another child or two in the next, you know, uh, months. I want to read from a, the successful parenting booklet, uh, Successful Parenting God's Way, written by Dr. Jeffrey Fall. I meant to grab one from out there, but uh, we're not worried about it now. But I would encourage anyone to everyone to read that booklet. Just profoundly helpful. I know my wife and I found it extremely helpful. He says in chapter 4, Passing the Baton, he writes, All Christian parents want their children to grow up to really love God and His way of life. We know the tremendous benefits that God's law will bring to our children, both now and in their future. A stable and fulfilling life now, an eventual eternal and eventual eternal life in God's family at Jesus Christ's return. All parents want this for their children. But they may wonder, how can parents succeed in passing the baton and in teaching their children to want this for themselves? Teaching the children to want it for themselves. He continues, Christians, a Christian's primary duty as parents is to train and shape their children's hearts and minds in God's image. So in this sermon, we'll discuss three ways to help your children and grandchildren to love God and desire his way of life. Three ways to help your children and grandchildren love God and desire his way of life. So the three points we'll we'll discuss are really founded in two primary principles that Dr. Fall mentions in his booklet. I'll read another, and I'll be referring to the booklet several times throughout the sermon. I'll read a quote right now. He says, ultimately, parents have just two ways to convince children that God's way of life will benefit them greatly. One is teaching diligently, and and two is demonstrating a positive example. And like I said, the three points that we have are really tied up in those two principles. He continues, neither teaching nor example will accomplish the task without the other. It requires both. So the title of the sermon is Three Ways to Help Your Children Love God. Three Ways to Help Your Children Love God. And in particular, just for some context sake, I might say, you know, this can apply to any age, but really we may be talking about those really formative years Um, anywhere, let's say, below a a teen. You know, as they go into their teen years with a right attitude and go into, hopefully, their adulthood, they can go into their adulthood with a right attitude and, and love of God. Now, I'll mention something that has come up in the past, and I've always appreciated this, that it was mentioned in Dr. Fall's booklet. And that is, you know, we can do our best. You know, we know the proverb, train up a child in the way that they should go, and when they're old, they will not depart from it. 
You know, that's a, a general principle. And none of us are perfect in, in how we raise our children. And we can't control them making their own decisions as they get older. And the example that Dr. Fall highlights in the booklet, I'll read uh, from the booklet. I, again, I really appreciate this. He says, Scripture shows that even the best possible parent will not automatically achieve a perfect outcome. Adam was truly a son of God. Yet God did not force Adam and Eve to make the right decisions. God taught Adam and Eve his way of life, and I would add, perfectly. Yet the perfect parent allowed his children to accept or reject his example and teaching. The same applies to human parents. Parents cannot force their children to seek God as their father. But parents can certainly help lay the foundation for their children to have a better life now and eventually to surrender to the true God. So I think that's really, really powerful. It's still on our shoulders to do everything we can as parents and grandparents and in any way that we can help with the young people. So the first of the three keys, and there's certainly many keys that we could think of, but the first is to pray together as a family. Pray together as a family. This puts God at the center of the relationship. If we don't pray together, then where is God in that relationship? It is critical that we spend time in prayer on our knees together as a family. And really, the real key is helping the children learn how to pray by themselves and for themselves and develop that relationship with God. That's the real key. But it's done, you know, in part through teaching and example. So there are a few different ways to, to help them uh, build that habit, that habit of their own habit of praying every day. And again, that one we'll talk about is praying every day together as a family. Um, and so this sets the right example for them. It teaches them how to do it themselves. They learn how. Let's say, let's say we remove the praying together with them as a family. We remove that. How do they learn to pray? It becomes very difficult. And again, it's our opportunity, our responsibility to teach them. So praying together as a family. If we don't do it, how will they learn? This prayer really could or should follow the pattern of Matthew 6. That's the example prayer that we're given. And we certainly would use that as a structure with our personal prayers uh, to God. You know, our, 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 let's say our main prayers especially. But we could follow that example as a, a family. So it should include praising God during at least part of it, thanking him for all the blessings that he gives to us, including Jesus Christ and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. 
It should include praying for others, thinking about really those we hear about who are sick, who need prayers, who need healing. And we hear about them in the emails that Mr. Strain sends out, or we hear about them in announcements. We can pray together with them during that time. And, and by name, by name, as well as widows, widowers, and, you know, maybe we don't go through every name every single night or day. That would be arduous for the children, I imagine. It would be for ours, at least, you know. But spending time, so maybe it depends on circumstances, maybe it depends on uh, whatever's happening in life and what's kind of at the top priority at that time. The daily family prayer really should include circumstances that your family is going through. So they can learn, again, how to pray about circumstances that they're going through. And you can spend time talking about those things, asking for God's guidance and blessing. It can include asking for forgiveness. And, you know, sometimes if you've found yourself maybe in a in a situation where uh, you've said something that uh, was less than ideal and the kids were aware of that, it doesn't hurt to confess with them right there in the prayer and ask for forgiveness, showing them how to confess their sins and ask for forgiveness. And, of course, asking for uh, the blood of Jesus Christ to cover that sin. It should include asking for wisdom and understanding and more of God's spirit and for protection from Satan and as well as the work and the ministry and the brethren and, of course, uh, the evangelists. So that's how to do it, or at least some ideas of how to go about that. We have, well, let's say, in regard to how long should the prayer last. I mean, we're talking very practical points here. Thinking about all of the uh, young families or soon-to-be young families with very small children and developing them in this way. So it certainly shouldn't be so short that it feels rushed uh, at the same time. It shouldn't be so long that they dread it. Oh, I don't want to do it. Because that could happen. It really could. And we can, in all of these things that we'll talk about, we can think about not provoking our children to wrath through trying to do the right thing with them. But there's a balance with that and trying to find that balance. And, and each of the, you know, each child is different and, but they still can be guided in this direction. This should cover most of the things that we just talked about or could cover most of the things we can we just talked about you may certainly add to it or modify how you're doing it already that type of thing regarding who should pray during the family prayer well certainly the parents should guide most of that that gives that kind of practical insight for them on how to do it but certainly offering to them 
asking them every once in a while, depending on their age, of course, and, you know, who, you know, have different expectations for different ages, but asking them to pray and to lead the family prayer. Maybe, maybe kind of going through different ones, maybe give them a couple minutes or a minute or whatever, a short period of time, and then take over again, whatever it is, right? But allowing them to get involved, allowing them to take part of it. You know, one thing I think that can come from, and we've all experienced this, is, you know, anybody who's a parent has experienced this, and that is, you know, when they pray, boy, you really learn what's on their mind in a way that you never would hear in a conversation. Just, you're not going to pull it out in a conversation. But boy, when they're praying, you say, oh, wow, that's important to them. I, I would not have known. And as far as when to pray, certainly make your own routine. Um, it could be the evening, it could be the morning. But something that uh, happens every single day. And, you know, regardless of how you feel, pushing yourself to do it. Pushing yourself to do it with them. You just got in bed and you all oh, covers pulled up and the, the lights out and you just closed your eyes and then you think of it. Oh, we didn't pray. It's time to get up. And, and part of that is just that building of that habit. Part of that's for them. Part of that's for us, for sure. There'll be enough times that we, you, you just can't do it for whatever reason, unable to do it together. So forcing yourself as a husband and wife, or, or like I said, grandparents, as the opportunity presents itself, is, is critical. And again, the praying together as a family really supports the primary key. And the primary key is them learning to pray themselves. So encouraging them to pray, you know, maybe if you're praying in the evening, maybe encourage them to pray in the morning. If you're praying in the morning with them, encourage them to pray a a prayer on their knees to God during the evening. Let them know that they can talk to God. And I'll say this, uh, any children uh, under, I don't care how old you are. So if you're a child, I want you to raise your hand. If you think you're a child, raise your hand. Okay, very good, very good. Okay, all right. So if you're between the ages of one, I don't know if that's too young, <laughs> and, uh, and 13, then... I want you to listen to this. You can talk to God about anything and everything. And parents making sure that they know that. You know, children, it's, I don't know, I say it's hard to believe. You think about your own troubles in life, and you think about their troubles, and you think, you don't have any troubles. But no, they, children have troubles. They have little troubles that are, that are very big in their life. 
Well, they can take those troubles and talk with God about them and maybe talk with God about them in a way that they're unable to really express with their parents for whatever reason. But we can tell them and help them to know that they can talk to God about whatever troubles them, whatever's going on in their life. And he cares and he wants to hear from them. It could be something big or it can be something uh, small and what they might feel as otherwise unimportant. So the first key is to pray together as a family. The second key, you may even guess it, is to study the Bible together as a family. Let's turn to 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy, and we'll start in verse chapter 1 and verse 5. Let's see if I've got the right one. Actually, 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 5. 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 5. Now, this I think is, is interesting. This is Paul speaking to Timothy. And who does he point to as uh, Timothy's mentors in God's way of life? Verse 5, when I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, Timothy, Paul writing, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, I am persuaded is also in you. Now let's go to chapter 3 and verse 14. Again, the second key is studying the Bible together as a family. Okay, verse 14 of chapter 3. But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood... You have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. So, Timothy was taught by his mother and grandmother God's way of life. And in this case, we see taught the holy scriptures. I'm going to read from... Successful Parenting booklet again. It says, Some parents have been outstanding examples, but have not taken the time to teach godly principles in their children at, on their children's level, using vivid examples that children can grasp and clearly understand. As a result, their children may love and respect their parents, but be unable to understand or apply God's principles in their own lives. So thinking about where to start in terms of reading together as a family. I'm sure that most of us are are doing this type of thing on a regular basis, but just some things to add to it and to think about and maybe um, complement how we're, we're doing this. Maybe starting in Genesis. Maybe starting in Proverbs, maybe starting with some of the incredible stories you think about. You think about the story of Joseph and what he went through and the faith that he had and his righteousness and God's blessing that that came from uh, his love toward God and obedience. Think about David and Goliath and you think about Elijah and the miracles. These are engaging stories. Every reading 
you know, doesn't necessarily need to be the funnest experience in all the world. Sometimes it might just be about we're reading because we need we're we're reading. You know, it's our job to read God's word every day. And take out from it and extract from it everything we can. And sometimes it might just be about, as you know, you think about the little young children. It might just be about them learning uh, how to sit and listen for just a few minutes. Maybe 10 minutes, maybe 15 minutes, maybe 30 minutes, maybe 8 hours. No, I'm just kidding. That would be horrible. I mean, maybe it wouldn't be horrible. I don't know. 8 hours reading taking time with them. What about the purpose of the reading time? Again, maybe you can change the purpose. Maybe sometimes it's for understanding and just delving and just taking time. Maybe it's to read over a story and just gain context of a story with them. Maybe a short prayer for understanding before reading. All of this helps them eventually can help them to develop the habit to read on their own. Because that is what they need in order to grow closer to God, in order to grow in love of God and a desire for his ways. You know, as you're reading with them, taking time to get their thoughts And getting their input. What do they think about what we just read? A lot of times you'll find that they weren't listening. That's a reality. Maybe you could repeat it. And then ask them again. But it requires them to listen. It requires them to put that lesson into their own words. Versus just again that that teaching, it encourages them in that way. And when they they give answers, you know, we can be sure to learn from their insight. You think about out of the mouths of babes, and boy, they'll really have some, some insight sometimes that we've never really even thought of or maybe haven't thought of in a long time. They're thinking about it from a different angle. Ask them questions during the the study. Ask them questions about things you feel they should know that have, you know, right or wrong answers to them. Sometimes you'll ask them questions that maybe don't have really a, a wrong answer per se, but just to get their input and their thoughts on it but ask them questions that they should know the answer to or eventually should know the answer to. One thing that Mr. Hernandez has mentioned before, uh, maybe in one or two sermons, is that when he would read to his son, and I always appreciated this example, he would read to him in the morning, and he would bring him to the climax of the story, right, and then stop leaving him hanging. Wait, oh no, I need the, I need to know the rest of it. That's That oftentimes can be a lot better than 
dragging them through more than they can handle at their age. That's I've always found that to be very, very helpful example. You might consider that cruel and unusual punishment, though, <laughs> leaving them hanging right at the climax, but just for the next day, and then the, the, the rest of the story is continued. Okay, so the second key is to study the Bible together as a family. The third key is to set the right example. Set the right example. Help them know that living God's way is not just something that we do on the Sabbath. That's critical. That's critical. It's a way of life that permeates every aspect of what we do. That godly example, that example of how to apply God's word, how to apply God's way of life, that example helps them, um, you know, again, it helps them understand how to apply God's way of life. It gives weight to the teaching times as well. You know, as you're teaching them, they can see and they believe what you say. Because they don't see, you know, hypocrisy, which is a dangerous thing. Something uh, struck me several years ago uh, when I was taking an LU class. One of the assignments for the LU class was to interview um, interview a family that you had a, a lot of respect for, and I, I did that. And the family that I interviewed, both I think the husband and the wife mentioned that uh, you know, one of the things that impacted them as they grew up, and again, th- this struck me. The thing that struck me was the, the husband and wife said the one thing that made an impactful impression on them growing up was that their parents were consistent in living God's way of life. It wasn't, again, on on the Sabbath and then different throughout the rest of the week. It was always that they were always striving to live God's way of life and weren't just saying, do it this way and and kind of ignore me in this area of life. Let's turn to 1 Peter 3. 1 Peter 3. So this is a very powerful passage when it comes to especially uh, dealing with unconverted mates. In this case, that's the context, but there's a principle here. 1 Peter 3 and verse 1. Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own, own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they without a word that is by your example, by a quiet example that says nothing. And I think, you know, we may have heard the story. You think about these lights here that are just blinding my eyeballs. (laughs) You think about these lights and they're not saying anything, but they're illuminating the room. 
That example is powerful, but doesn't have to say anything. Without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. The principle is that that all of the talking, all of the teaching in the world can be really useless without that powerful example. As far as that example, discuss with them the contrast of God's way of life versus man's way. Maybe take advantage of teachable moments, as Dr. Winnell has talked about, to highlight you know, God's way versus man way, man's way. Talk about cause and effect. You know, you, the, we can look out and hear the news every single day and hear of other stories or other situations, maybe at, from their school or work or wherever. And boy, there are just a multitude of opportunities to show the results of not obeying God and contrast it with the results and blessings that come from obeying God. I'll read from Dr. Fall's booklet again. He says, Parents' personal example is crucial if children are to see God's way of life as a way of blessings and benefits. Parental example is a form of teaching in which the lessons are taught by actions rather than words. There's an old saying, your actions speak loud, so loud, I can't hear what you're saying. Children often forget verbal teaching far more quickly than they can forget the vivid example they see daily of their parents' actions and attitudes. Parental examples and attitudes are deeply implanted into a child's subconscious mind and later reflected in their child's behavior. So as parents, if we show and and in our lives, through example, that we love God and his way of life, it will bleed over into their life. So the third point is to set the right example. I'll read one more uh, point from Dr. Fall's book, or booklet, before we close. He writes, parents should constantly point out to their children the benefits of God's way of life. Sitting on the couch, watching TV, driving down the street, reading the paper at every opportunity when God's way of life can be contrasted with the suffering that this world, uh, that this world's lifestyle brings. There is no shortage of examples in this sick world. The question is, will parents put in the effort? Granted, it takes considerable time and a consistent focus on this meaningful goal, but it has huge payoffs. Relying on church services by themselves will not accomplish the task. Parents must reinforce lessons learned in church wherever possible. With both a mother's nurturing love and gentle teaching, 
and a father's consistent guidance and support. So in this split sermon, we have discussed three keys to help our children grow in love of God and desire God's way of life. The first is to pray together as a family. Second is to study God's word together as a family. And the third is to set a right example on a daily basis. If we do these things, we can at least do our part as parents and grandparents to lay a helpful foundation for our children to love God and desire his ways.